are back. It's a hangover reference, Terry, from the movie. Back on Terry's Talking Podcast, yes. David Campbell and Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist for The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. We've been out for a couple of weeks, Terry. Mm-hmm. You've been out having fun hiking with Roberta up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And uh, I know you wrote about this, Searching for Moose. How was the trip? We had a great time, and it's a really good place to go if uh, you haven't been up there. Now, this is not like if your idea is to you know hit the spa, the pool at the hotel, all that, this is not your place. But uh, in terms of the outdoors, Lake Superior is spectacular. The whole area is. And even when you get about 100 miles north of Detroit and you're going up on 75, northern Michigan, Traverse City, all those places, it, it's, it's very nice. And by the way, I've talked to a couple people up there and I said, but do you really think in the upper UP, are you uh, really feel like part of Michigan? They say they feel like more of part of Wisconsin or a totally independent state. I mean, at the place we were, Marquette, uh, it's for this way. You are, we're approximately 150 miles from Detroit. Well, you have to go 500 miles north of Detroit to get to Marquette. It's a long way. We, we went up there one time and my son was just 16 and he was driving going straight north on what is it 75 or 23 mm-hmm. one of those roads and he we looked at the speedometer i was in the back seat he was doing 92 yeah that's a little high <laughs> and he got pulled over by an uh, um, a police woman officer uh, up in the upper peninsula and she looked at him and saw how old he was and just laughed and let us go <laughs> yeah <laughs> and said don't drive so fast you're going to get your mom yeah. well the trouble. speed limit when you get in northern michigan like that is 75 so yeah, so he went anyway. a little above and beyond. So, all yes, right, let's get did. into some sports. We got a lot all of right, things here to we catch go. up on, Terry. Uh, some high drama last night at Progressive Field. The Guardians ended up losing to the Tigers four to three. They're sixty-two and fifty-five. They're now one game ahead of the Twins and the White Sox mm-hmm. in the division. Uh, Terry, what did you think of last night? The, the the key play of the game was a play at home where Austin Hedges made a tag out. They reviewed it, and he got um, the people in New York, the uh, review people said that he was illegally blocking home plate. They reversed the call. It turned the whole game. Austin Hedges went off after the game, said MLB, oh, Zach, please second apology. What did you think of that whole thing last night? It was really some high drama. Well, the cool thing is that the motions are running high and that because the games are important. You know, Francona gets thrown out later on, and – I still, I agree with a lot of people say what exactly constitutes blocking the plate and what doesn't. Um, to me, I just kind of watched and thought, okay, he's out. You know, I didn't see any of these big, you know, like a Pete Rose and a Ray Fossey crash or anything. And then the next thing you know, they're overturning it. And and then, of course, they're grumpy after that. I mean, Polizak is uh, – not happy with some of the calls and the, behind the plate, it was iffy. I have to admit on, on TV, I do get a little tired of uh, particularly Matt Underwood just saying, you know, second guessing all the calls and that it's just, uh, it gets a little old. Um, but I just like the fact that these games are big tempers are flaring. Uh, have at it boys. Yeah, it makes for some fun baseball. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it, I was thinking of kind of the origin of this rule, Terry, right? Was, wasn't it when Buster Posey, Yes, I think he broke his leg and, and tore three ligaments mm-hmm. in a collision at home plate against Florida. I think it was in 2011. 
And that was when the discussion started happening of like, hey, we got to change this. There's too many big collisions happening, career ending injury. Mm -hmm. It pretty much ruined Buster Posey's career. But last night's play, I mean, Hedges was up the line. He wasn't yeah, really just... blocking anything. It was not what that rule is intended to do, right? No. Is that how you see it? Yeah, it's, I mean, it just look, I just watched it and I'm like, okay, he's out. I mean, that was it. it just then, wait a minute, then there's all this. Well, just like a few years ago, they put in the uh, more than a few years ago where the, the play at second base too to break up double plays, and I understand some of that because being being an old best second baseman, you are kind of vulnerable when you're making that pivot because you're, you're catching the ball and you only know where the runner is. And then you're turning around and they like to cut your legs out from under you. But um, in terms of – so that's not a bad play, but I don't know. I mean, I think when you put these rules in, they're, they're designed to um, prevent injuries – you know, to take the extreme out of the game, I think is what it is. Not that, not a play like that. Now that said, please, that went out and gave up four runs again. And, you know, he's, you could do his ERA since the start of 2021. His COVID season was excellent. It was like he had a 2.2, but I figured this out about two weeks ago and I doubt that it's changed since. So now we're more than a year and a half in. His ERA is almost 4.6. And, um, you know, I think we're at the point now, at who is this guy? That's who he is. He's kind of an innings eater, gives up four-plus runs a game, and that's the deal. I know they talk, well, he doesn't get that many support, that much run support. Nonetheless, um, you could have a 2-10 and 10 record with an ERA of 3.2. The lack of run support does not dictate what your ERA is. And – I know that there's some other analytics stats to go deeper, but your ERA is usually a fairly good look at what type of pitcher you are. And he is an below average major league starter. Well, and it seems like a thing like last night happens and it just kind of builds on it. I mean, the, he wouldn't have given up four last night, I guess, if that I guess. happened, but he yeah. would argue, but uh, you know, the long-term stats don't lie. So, um, hey, Terry. Right, that's the point I was making. On yeah, this. yeah, yeah. Right. Where we could get focused on there, but um, I mean, I guess basically, as general, is saying that I just, I'm just kind of disappointed in him. I thought they'd get more out of that guy than they have, and you turn around and look at how um, McKenzie has continued to improve and get better. Quantrill is coming around. He's having another strong second half, much like he had last year. You know, last year after the all-star break, he was like seven and one with a 2.4 ERA. And he's doing that again, you know, Bieber for all the talk about the lack of velocity or whatever, this guy's still really good. And, you know, I'll take him in a big game anytime. So, you know, please act as your guy. And we'll see what Savali does because he's coming back from all the injuries, but they do have kind of two holes in their, in a rotation, I think. And the Savali's got to get healthy and, and please like, do you see Gavin Williams through a six inning, no hitter at uh double a Akron? I and mean, this is a guy that, um, out of East Carolina, first round draft pick. I mean, Holy cow, he's coming. He could be, he could be in the big weeks next year. 
Yeah, the, the hits just keep coming for the Guardians when it comes to young pitching mm-hmm. prospects. And uh, it's really nice, especially when you have some of the as many of double headers as they've had this year. Yeah. To be able to bring people up, get get a nice five, four, five innings out of them and, and uh, get them some experience. I never heard of that Xavier Curie until like about six weeks ago because somebody mentioned to me, well, he could be one of the guys coming up to get a start. I'm like, who is he? You know, I had to go look it up and he threw okay. Yeah, and almost without exception, the moment is never seeming like it's too big for these guys. Like, they just come up, they do what they do, and then they go back, and then we yeah, see them a year or two they, later. Yeah, you don't see them impressive. coming and walk the bases lower than the first inning or that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, yeah, really impressive. So, so I mean, um, you see, that's what it's – yeah, we got two things going on with the Guardians. One is we got the pennant race this year with the White Sox. You're white. Were you a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan growing up? Oh, both. I know that's okay. unusual, but, yeah, we used to go to both games. Because he's a Chicago guy. How do you like your 77-year-old manager on the south side there? <laughs> well, we're actually um, – we had a meeting today about the Guardians, and uh, Joe Noga is going to work on a post for tomorrow about is is <laughs> Tony La Russa holding the White Sox back from pulling out ahead in this division? And there's been a lot of chatter in Chicago this summer about – uh, you know, video of him allegedly falling asleep during a game, making the wrong moves. There were reports early in the season from the players saying that they didn't, uh, there was a lack of leadership and they, and that he wasn't the man for the job. And it was all anonymous, but all this stuff has kind of been bubbling under the surface. And are they making their move right now? I don't know. This is a huge series this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about the White Sox underachieving in your book, right? Yeah, right. Oh, of course. They have a lot of talent. Yes, they've had some injuries and so on, but, um, I mean, they're loaded. They won 93 games last year. Uh, and, I, and I mean, I just say this is I'm 67. I don't know if I would have the energy to manage a major league team, much less being 77. And then this guy hadn't managed a game. For, uh, he was his last managed a game in 2011. Um, he was hired. Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, loved the guy because he had managed there early in his career. So he hadn't managed in the big leagues for 10 years. Um, and then you bring a man and just, I, sometimes, you know what you have to do, Dave, you have to fire a guy to take the excuse away. The Cavaliers fired David Blatt. And I was and at that point, you know, they had like a second or third best record in the NBA in that. And I was talking to, uh, David Griffin about that and, you know, Griffin didn't think Blatt was that bad or anything. I mean, the year before, they had taken that unmanned team. Granted, LeBron carried it to the finals. But it would, as you were talking about, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff and unnamed stuff. And so this way, what he was able to do, the players like Tyron Lou, you don't like David Blatt, you guys should go back to the finals. Okay, I don't want to hear any more about the coach. Tyron Lou's your guy. Now go play. And if I were running the White Sox, I would do the same. I would have done the same thing, actually, probably at the All-Star break or before. You know, I don't want to hear this. You know, LaRusso's find somebody on your staff or somebody else and, you know, go play. Now, the man, the owner probably doesn't want to do that. So we will see. But I, they, they just make strange hires and sometimes for these jobs. Well, I've interviewed Jerry Reinsdorf in a group setting, and, and he's loyal, loyal, loyal. He, he believes yeah. in trusting people that he knows. And the other thing, he believes in letting GMs do their job. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't meddle and interfere and say, we got to get, we got to make a, a knee-jerk reaction here and fire this well, guy. Well, I remember on that, so. case, along those lines, it's another Chicago story, but I, I was shocked. In fact, it was the year 
that um, Michael Jordan made the shot, this shot against the Cavs in the 89 playoffs, and Doug Collins was coaching the Cavs, I mean coaching Chicago, excuse me, and it was clear that he, that team was on the on the way up. They had Horace Grant and Pippen, that whole group. And um, Reinsdorf allowed Jerry Krause, he said, to do his job, and he fired um, Collins, and he brought in Phil Jackson, which turned out to be the right thing. But at that time, I'm going, well, and I, I granted, I knew Doug Collins reasonably well, and I'm like, well, what did he really do? Um, but as you said, he allowed him to do that. You know, meanwhile, here, the great thing in Cleveland, this is year 10. Think about that, year 10 of Chernoff and Antonetti and Francona. Yeah, and so big series this weekend at Progressive Field against the White Sox starting Friday. The Guardians have an off day tomorrow. But, Terry, you mentioned Terry Francona. What did you think of last night, the uh, coming out of the dugout, (laughs) getting tossed? I I think it was Miles Straw who was virtually – was it Miles Straw virtually climbing out of the dugout trying to get out and have his his piece? Yeah. Um, What what did you think of Terry Francona last night? I'm always intrigued by – coaches and the leadership of a team and pushing the right buttons at the right Mm. time. And do you think Terry Francona helped the team last night by what he did? Yes, he did. Regardless, even though they didn't win the game, first of all, everything Francona does is calculated. Understand it just is every, every word he says, everything he does is calculated. And I'm sure he was still pissed off about that call at the plate. And because you can see out there, he's pointing at the plate and he's pointing at second base. He's pointing all over the place. And he was going to point till he got tossed to let the guys know, hey, we are in a pennant race. I'm with you. You know, and I've had it with this guy. And so that they know that they're and they know their manager is 63 and they know their manager. His foot is still not good. If you watch him, he's kind of dragging it out there. And they know he's been managing in a lot of pain. He always has. And he's out there fighting for them. And that's that's a key lesson for them, too, to see that. That my guy is out there. Whatever he's got, I'm getting it. You know, this is, I think, a key year for Francona as you look at the future, uh, David, because um, he has not made it through the last two seasons physically. And it would be really hard if he didn't make it this year to come back for a fourth year. And the last thing I think anybody in Cleveland wants to do is think about what do you do? I'm sure uh, Antonetti and Chernoff has, have an idea, you know, they, you know, whether it's Sarbaugh or DeMarlo Hale, Sandy Alomar, it'd probably be something like that, but they don't want to go down that road. There's a reason they stuck with Francona the last two years, because you just look at, Look at them this year. How the heck are they a team that not only is the youngest in the major leagues, but younger than the average AAA team? How were they in first place? I know there's some talent, but logically, this is a team set up to lose 105 games if you just look at the the age. And so, yes, the young players are good, but his handling of them uh, and his ability to you know keep people together and also the front office and he are they just work together. The Fran Mill Reyes, the coaches were sick of Reyes. Some of the key players were sick of Reyes. And they could have hung on to him, David, and said, well, he's the remaining guy from the Bauer deal. He hit 30 homers. No, they got rid of him. Yeah, and going back to Tito, I cannot agree more with what you said. And, and 
it's so funny how your mind works, but the first thing I thought of last night when I saw everything go down was, do you remember when Manny Acta was managing the Indians? Mm-hmm. And they, I think they were playing either, it was against the Yankees, but I think it might've been in New York and there was a foul pop-up down the left field line and it went into the stands and whoever was playing left field for the Yankees that day against the Indians went into the stands with his glove and and hung his glove over the wall and held his glove up in the air like as if to say, I've got, I caught it. The umpire called him out and there was no ball in his glove. Hmm. And, and Manny Acta saw that sitting in the dugout in the Indians dugout that day and didn't leave the dugout. Yeah. And all the players are pointing like, look, that fan is holding the ball. And yeah. there are certain, you know how it works, Terry, in baseball. You've been around the game a long time. There are some games that mean more than one game. Mm-hmm. And I think last night, I think you're right. Last night's game meant more than one game because of all the stuff you're talking about, about, hey, we're in a fight, we're in this together, and I'm coming out of the dugout to to complain and to stick up for you guys when stuff isn't being done as it should. And I think those kind of games, you're right, they go a long way. And remember this, this is a manager who's demanding that they run hard to first base. In fact, he in spring training, I did a long interview with Francona after he did his regular media session. And I was asking him about coaching this um, coaching and managing because it's both coaching in terms of daily, you know, interaction and managing the whole big product uh, of this young team. And he said, you know, one of the things I look at when I would see these teams are young is how hard do they run their first base? How do they run the bases? Um, he goes, I know one thing you could say, let the kids play, but we have to make sure they play the right way. And it starts with that. Okay. So if you're demanding that even when they're tired or these guys, I mean, you see Josh Naylor dragging that leg down the first baseline. Well, this guy's going to go out there hobbling along on his foot and everything else, because he's demanded the same things of them. And as you mentioned before, how Atka um, did that, this was way back to when I covered hard to believe anybody covered the, uh, they were the Indians then before Paul Hoynes, but that was me. And I remember there was a game in Kansas City where uh, Mike Ferraro was the manager. He didn't argue a call. <laughs> Boy, that was, this was a very strange thing. The game be opened. There was a guy got on first base for the Royals. Then the next hitter hit into a double play. And they run off the field with two outs like there's three outs. I've never seen such a thing. So then there's a play later in the game, similar to I don't know what it was, but Ferraro didn't argue. After the game, it's like there's – the whole thing is falling apart. And I remember Ferraro was sitting in the manager's office and Sheldon Oker from the Beacon Journal at the time. And then I walk in there and he's playing solitaire by himself. And he says, how can we win? And he would flip a card down when you don't know how many outs there are. So card goes down. I mean, it was only two batters and it came off the field. Card, card, down, down. And some other then he goes we're like the traveling circus we go from town to town like the team playing the globetrotters and we're writing all this down you know well he got fired within two days after that and but he had just like lost it now yeah, man, that stuff matters you are so oh yeah right. now does. to be fair to ferraro he had been diagnosed before that season with kidney cancer and had gone through some some of those things there. And that's why uh, I don't want to, you know, look, I'm one of the oldest guys on our staff, that thing, you know, the age stuff, I fight against it. But I think you you just have to be very relevant. You know, health, age, these things matter. And that's why I think Francona stands up and says, look, I may be, I may be old and I might be beat up, but I'm going to get out there and I'm going to back my guys 
And that's what I'm going to do. So I just thought it was cool. Yeah, it was. I kind of felt like he did a little bit of a crash Davis, like uh, throw me out, throw me out. Throw me out. It was. <laughs> I'm not moving. And it's almost like I'm getting tired being out here already because it's like he's going and following a guy. It was sort of a half-hearted wave, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was classic. But the, it really, it really, I think when we look back at the end of the season last night, will be a key moment. So Yeah, uh, it will because he knows that the this is uh, – as you said, the, the White Sox series, and just you want to be in it in September. And you, so you don't want suddenly to have one of those things where you lose 7 to 10 going into September. All right, Terry. Hey, let's take a break, uh, and we'll come back. Let's talk Browns. We'll get into Deshaun Watson a little bit. I want to ask you, do you think this delay with the Deshaun Watson decision and Peter C. Harvey's ruling and everything is hurting the Browns going into the opener? So think about that after the break. Uh, we'll talk about LeBron. Uh, you were breaking the news to me right before we started taping yeah. about his two years, two year extension. And we'll talk about your faith column and uh, we'll be right back on Terry's talking. We're back on Terry's talking Terry Pluto and David Campbell. Terry, let's get into the Browns a little bit. Uh, our colleague, Mary Kay Cabot broke yet another story today about Deshaun Watson's camp negotiating uh, everybody's waiting to see what Peter C. Harvey, uh, who is Roger Goodell's designee in this case, is going to rule on the appeal of Deshaun Watson's six-game suspension. Uh, Mary Kay's reporting that they're trying to work out a settlement. Watson has said that he would accept an eight-game suspension and a $5 million fine. It's kind of, will the ruling come down or will they go to court or will they settle? It's kind of all up in the air and um, you know, Terry, we, you've written a lot about this and you've been against the deal from the beginning, but I, I want to kind of spin this toward football a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is this delay and not knowing how many reps to give the quarterbacks, is this going to hurt the Browns going into the September 11th opener against the Panthers? What do you think? Well, in my mind, it shouldn't because I would have been preparing uh, Jacoby Brissett from day one with the starters. Now you can certainly work Watson in, but the odds were he's going to be suspended for X number of games. The only way would have been, and it's still a possibility this whole negotiation falls apart and they end up suing and there's an injunction and all that stuff. But I, you know, I w I would want to uh, uh, had, have done that that way. Now they say they had a plan and I, I was out there yesterday and uh, Jacoby had, pretty much, I think, just about every snap with the starters. You know, Watson was out there with the number twos. Uh, I didn't see Josh Dobbs run much of anything. They actually had Rosen with the threes. So not that I don't – I'm not taking anything about the battle between the third and fourth quarterbacks away. But so it shouldn't, but I just – you just kind of wonder. I think they do want the, – the players want to know – they do. Yeah, it matters in a big way. So mm -hmm. the it's surprising that they're not giving Dobbs more reps after the way he played the other night. It looked like he had the offense under good command and was moving the ball a little bit. So it's I, I'll tell you that. that's what you saw at practice yesterday, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw. It. And, and Rosen was iffy. Um, you know, my guy from the 2018 draft, my first round pick would have been Josh Rosen and I would have been fired. Um, but that. He, he now I thought Rosen actually played decently in that game the other night too. And but Dobbs was impressive to me in that game. Uh, now he he doesn't have a great arm strength in that, but he he had poise. He knew what he wanted to do. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe maybe this is all part of the grand plan. Also, Watson had a lot of reps though uh, out there in that at practice. I mean, look, you know, Watson. 
I've said this all along, and I, and I actually hope I'm wrong on the on the cautious side. I think Watson's a good, a pretty good quarterback. You know, maybe in that seven to ten area, that thing. You know, because the Browns think he's top three. Their analytics say he's top three. I've been told that. You know, background. That's what they think. Um, we will see. But clearly, he is. I throw out that first game. That meant nothing to me. Um, he's good. But um, you don't know how much you're going to get them. And I would be willing say say they say they settle on ten games or whatever, right? You know, coming up, I would play Watson those next two preseason games some because he needs to be out there um, where they're actually playing football. Because uh, David and the fans who've probably been out to training camp, that that quarterback's out there with the bubble wrap. Don't touch me. And it's a lot easier to play quarterback doing that and speed of the game when you know you're not going to get hit. And as you saw, I think, I mean, everything went wrong for Watson when he was out there in terms of two. There were in the first quarter, there were two holding penalties. There was a false start and there were two drops um, and, and a fumble. And the starting center goes out with an injury. And the starting the center goes out. Yeah. So it, it was miserable. But also his timing was a mess too uh, on some of those. He just needs to play. So you, I would be there. I'd be preparing him for later on because uh, if you get him, whatever game you get him, you, you need him ready to go. Whereas Jacoby, I just think, you know, he's played a lot of football. You know, last year I think he started five games. He was in a couple others. Uh, you know, he could play a quarter or two and just be ready ready for the opener. Okay, so, just, so you would start Watson as long as um, – in the next two games if he's allowed to and play him a uh, half and then have Jacoby Brissett take At over. At least a that. half and, or a quarter and a half, something like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jacoby, I would probably just play a quarter and get him out of there because I don't want him to – who do I not I'm, – I'm, now, remember, we're operating the assumption that we have a, a number for Watson being out, okay? Right. So who do I really need not to get hurt by opening day? It is Jacoby Brissett. So if, if you want to go out there with him for a quarter, fine, hand the ball off. It doesn't matter. He's, he's not the one I'm worried about just having that. And you can say, well, then he wouldn't play for 10 weeks, but he would still have been out there. I don't want Watson's only appearance in a game to be that mess the other day. And I just think for his own well-being uh, to get out and just play football. You know, this guy, as we saw in – Jacksonville with those foul chants and that. Um, and by the way, you know, I, I'm not big on anything about Watson. But when you start chanting some of the stuff they were chanting, that's pretty low. You know, yeah, fans pay their tickets. They could do what they want. But just because you could do what you want doesn't mean you should do it. Um, that's that's one of those things, too. It's just like you could be on an airplane or in a, uh, a restaurant and you could be, you could be you know, really rude to the server. But doesn't mean you should be. Um, so anyway, we will see. Uh, yeah. on that. A lot of but people I, forget, like the yes, these guys are multi-million dollar athletes, and you have the right to say what you want. But they're also people, and they're, there's a whole they're people just like us. And that sometimes fans do forget. Yeah, that well, you, I mean, it's just you know, they're hey, nobody likes it when somebody mouths off to you. Um, I will say this about Watson. Again, I have gotten several emails from fans that have had encounters with him in Cleveland. And they've all been very positive. Him signing stuff, been good. So I will give him uh, 
credit on that area, that he's working hard on that stuff, as he should. But he is. All right, Terry, let's move off the quarterback situation. I wanted yeah. to ask you something. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but one of the interesting developments of the last week, Anthony uh, Schwartz had a rough game in the opener, for the preseason opener. Ever since he arrived last year, he's kind of had this reputation of dropping passes, dropped some more mm-hmm. in the Jacksonville game. Deshaun Watson tells him, hey, I believe in you. Do you think he's going to pan out as a as a, a good draft pick for Andrew Barry when things are said and done? Or, no. or do you have a sense of that? Yeah, what do you think? A couple things. He gets hurt, number one. Um, going back to Auburn, he got hurt. Secondly, uh, he let's put it this way. He needs a really good – I would play him quite a bit in game two. He needs to go out and catch some balls to see. You know, he's got the four two nine speed, and they all love that. But, um, you know, and I'll tell you this. And, and meanwhile, um, uh, Bell, David Bell, runs, what, what, four, six, or seven? I don't know what it was. All I know is this guy runs a slap pattern. They threw a ball behind his ear, and he speared it, caught it. Another time, he's just running the pattern, makes a quick cut, turns around, bang, grabs the ball. You know, he catches it the old rhyme that Richard Higgins gave me a long time ago, I'm a catch the ball kind of receiver. Well, that's what this guy is. And it's pretty hard. If you're a quarterback, you can say that to the guy, but when you drop back to throw, I don't know, you know, it's third and seven. And I think I'll just go to bell. That's what you would say. Or I'm going to go to Amari Cooper, whom we'll see. Uh, I thought it was very interesting along those lines uh, the other day how Stefanski, who rarely says anything of note, mentioned about Harrison Bryant came up and he talked about his exact quote is how a lot of you, you, you learn things by watching the quarterbacks and a lot of the quarterbacks like to throw it as he called him number 88. I found that intriguing. And he talked about how Bryant has grown physically and that stuff. So um, I don't, I, you know, Donovan people, Jones, I still think has a chance to be good. You know, Cooper is very good, and then you'll have to see. And I think Bell is impressive. So I'm not as worried about the receivers as some people are because I think that this team also will be, David, who's in the backfield? You got all these guys. A lot of weapons, no doubt. Yeah, you do. And that's why – now, see, what I've been saying this, and I could be completely – maybe I'm kind of blinded by the light here of the optimism. Um, I would say if they had Brissett – for basically most of the whole season, uh, they could win nine to 10 games anyway with this team. That's my feeling. Now remember you're playing 17. So that's like nine and eight, 10 and eight. Well, I do think the receiver room is okay where it's at, but you know how it goes. Somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah, that is a problem. And then, and then our guys getting open for a quarterback who maybe can't fit the ball into tight windows down the field mm-hmm. uh, and, and is a, and has been a backup. So I guess that's the big question, but yes, I mean, that yeah. that's there, but I also believe that they could do stuff. You know, we've been hearing about these tight ends forever. Well, it's about time to let them loose. Yeah. And let them act like receivers. You got cream hunt. Um, and also um, I think the defensive secondary is really ready to just let loose and play like it should. They have this other kid. Um, the Anthony Bell from, I think, is West Florida, the safety. He's going to make the team. 
he picked off Josh Rosen the other day. He played well in the first preseason game. I was told he, unless he really messes up between now and um, the opener, uh, he's going to be on the team. I think they gave him about $60,000, which is a lot of money to sign as undrafted free agent. So keep your eye on him. He'll be playing quite a bit. But they, you know, they have the safeties, the cornerbacks. By the way, remember, defensive backs, they're like pitchers. You get, you talk about never have enough because they get hurt. So stack them up. But they've done a pretty good job of stacking them up. A.J. Green has had a very good camp. That was a guy who was an undrafted free agent a couple of years ago. They gave $150,000 to, which is the biggest number I've ever seen of the Browns give to an undrafted free agent. Andrew Berry's guy. Andrew Berry likes tall cornerbacks. Uh, especially when he's kind of bargain shopping, like what I would call like undrafted free agents or Emerson third round. He likes him taller. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the uh, speaking of money, Denzel Ward, uh, we were both out of camp yesterday. He's giving guys in the defensive backfield $400 for every interception. I mean, well, he can afford it, right? He can afford it. And he's a kid from Nerdonia, local guy, Ohio yeah. State. But it and, goes back to what you're saying about they're really pushing each other to like, yes. we're going to be a difference making unit this year. Absolutely. We're going to get interceptions, be. turnovers, strips. They really are, are emphasizing that. And, and uh, Denzel Ward put his money behind that. So, yes. And he's, he, you know, he was their um, Walter Payton nominee. Um, and the tough thing, you know, the, the only negative on Denzel, he's probably going to miss three or four games. Something's going to happen. That's like your pitchers. But when he's in there, uh, he's a playmaker. You could put him on the best receiver. Greg Newsom's coming along. Now, Newsom has an injury history, too, going back to Northwestern. I believe he had a concussion last year. So that's why you got to load up these guys. So we're, that's why Emerson was a guy they took. When they finally, when they finally drafted a guy yes, uh, last, year, last uh, draft, it was Emerson. Uh, because of the cornerback. I kept sitting there and saying, well, they're going to take a cornerback just because that's how Andrew Berry thinks. All right, so the, we're going to learn some interesting stuff this week, Terry. Next two days, uh, we're taping this on Wednesday. On Thursday and Friday, the Browns are having joint practices with the Last Eagles. Last thing, David, I got to yeah. say it because I've been complaining for years about the kicker. This guy, Cade York, I have not heard a sound like that boom when he kicks it since the peak of Phil Dawson. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be Dawson, but this is the first guy where – and, and it goes straight, by the way. I mean, some of those guys, it was a cannon shot, but, you know, you're aiming for West Virginia, and he hit Sweden. I mean, they had no accuracy whatsoever. He kicked it far. It was just way wide. This guy is very impressive. And that that's another reason, by the way, I'm on that 9 or 10-game win thing. You start kicking your field goals like you should. The Browns had the worst field goal conversion percentage in the NFL last year, 71%. After, in the final, like, seven games or whatever, um, Chase McLaughlin was 4 of 10. They didn't even want to try field goals at the end of the year. That's a huge deal to, to have this thing fixed. So – We'll see. He's still got to do it in the weather. He's still got to do it in the wind. But, I mean, I remember watching some of those guys out there in Berea and sunny days where there's barely a breeze and they're banging them off the uprights and everything else. Well, now when they get to the 40-yard line, they're in scoring territory. It's going to be yeah. a different kind of game for them. He so. kicked a 55-yarder like it was an extra point. Now, granted, they weren't full-out rushing or whatever, but it was like, no problem. <laughs> and – yeah, he has a stronger leg than Dawson. Dawson, remember, I got to know Phil pretty well, and you know, I, I go off on kickers and that. But 
you know, he talked about how he was able to improve his, uh, uh, his distance as he went along and that, but, the, but I, one thing's going to happen. Cade York's going to have one of those Cleveland days down there. The wind's going to be whipping. He's still not ready. You're not ready for it till you have one. Then we'll find out really about him. Cause remember Chase McLaughlin was good in the first half of the year. Then Cleveland showed up, you know, there's like, like they call April in Cleveland for baseball for the hitters, November in Cleveland for the kickers. All right. Well, Cade York will get his first chance to kick in a game Sunday against the Eagles after the two joint practices on Thursday and Friday. So we'll see. It's going to be one of the interesting storylines of the year, Terry, no doubt about that. So, all right, let's get into some basketball We're running a little bit long, but not too bad. Uh, you found this right before we went uh, to tape here. LeBron James has signed a two-year extension with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Talk about that and what the details are. Well, it looks like it's two years for $97 million and there's a third-year option, player option, so it's probably worth like over $150 million. He'll be 38 in December. Um, I'm just kind of glad they got it done because I always felt that that's what LeBron was going to do. You know, LeBron went out to L.A. for a reason. And it wasn't just to win a title for the Lakers. You know, he's got a lot of business interest and all that. And, of course, there was always a bring bring LeBron back here. And, you know, LeBron loves to toy with people's emotions. So, he, oh, you know, Bernie Bickerstaff's doing a great job. And we love that, you know, all that. But this should settle it, you know, at least for now. They're not going to sign him to that deal and then turn around and trade him to Cleveland. And I did not want to make the type of deal that it would have taken to get LeBron because you would have, you know, you probably would have had to given up. You're either going to go into uh, Darius Garland or that probably would have been the guy they wanted. You know, I mean, you could always go into Mobley, but you, you know, I want these kids to play. That's what I want to do. I want to see them sort out things. And by the way, and I assume it's right. Cause I, I just want fans to know, um, Chris Fedor is the best basketball writer we've had here since Brian Winhurst, and he is tremendous. And Brian was the best in Cleveland since me. And I'm just there. And Brian always says my protege was my, I'm so proud of him. Now I ask him questions and I tell Chris the same thing. In the beginning, I used to give him on it, um, advice he didn't ask for. Now I call him and ask him, well, he, he reported that, um, they were talking about three years for like 40 million for Sexton. If I'm Sexton's agent, I don't let him out of the room. I'm signing that baby right now. All right, Terry, and the other news today for the Cavs, uh, the schedule's out. Fair amount of national TV games this time around, and deservedly so after last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's nine total, although four on NBA TV, which not – a lot of people, not as many people get, but there was like, I think, two on TNT and three on ESPN. I think they had only two or three all last year. So that's good. It'll be fun to see how they play. Um, and, you know, it's just the Cavs, the Guardians, it's kind of the same story. It really is. Of, of You have a veteran coach, you know, and Bickerstaff, and you have a really young team. And what you want to do is, you don't want to blow your future just to try and, and grab something right now. But I think it's imperative, by the way, the Cavs make the real playoffs, not the play-in thing, and, 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 and get that experience. 
All right. Hey, uh, all right, Terry. So I want to move into your faith column for this week. You, you always have these interesting phrases that you come up with in, in whatever topic you're writing about. This week for the weekend coming up, you're writing about the daily stupid. And it kind of gets at how we all run into these just annoying, stupid things that happen every day and how we cope mm -hmm. with those. Uh, talk about the daily stupid and what it means. Yeah, I open with calling the cable company. That should be enough right there to, you know. And, of course, it's one of those things. You're on hold. You know, your call is very important to us. Please hang on the line. Then you hear the music. Your call is very important to us. Please hang on the line. It's like, you bunch of liars. Don't tell me that. Then finally, you know, a guy picks it up. And, you know, sometimes uh, these people who are in these call centers overseas, their English is tremendous and they do a great job. Uh, that did not happen to me this time. It was very, the guy was difficult to understand. And then he says, well, you must talk to someone else and then click. I'm now gone. You know, of course you think he did it on purpose and I have to go. So I call back later and it was one of those, you could leave your number this time and we'll call you back. I like, they came up with 28 to 34 minutes. I'm like, oh yeah. I wonder how they came up with that. But I did, they called back in like 40 minutes. It worked out, but where I had to make sure is the first daily stupid did not uh, color my attitude when I finally spoke to a person. Cause that's the difficult thing. You know, if somebody's rude to you, um, we just had to get our garage door fixed. You know, so it almost fell on me while the sprinkler from the next door was, I was like, I was getting wet and the garage door was falling on me. You know, that these are not big deals, but it's like, and I had to go actually have a reasonably good conversation with someone ahead of, I was still stuck on the daily stupid that could wreck that. So I was talking about just there and sort of the, how we deal with it. Yeah. And it, it uh, you did a column several months ago about energy, um, like energy vampire type yeah. things where, pe where people can suck energy out of you and just mm -hmm. leave you worn out at the end of the day. And this is kind of the same thing where a daily stupid thing, like being on hold for two hours, uh, can really just suck the energy out of you. And I think you yeah. talked to uh, Jonathan Scheffler from Grace Church in Middleburg Heights, and he was, just, he was just talking about how you can't let it ruin your day, and you have to really just guard against that, which I thought yeah, was a really good and, point. Yeah, and, you know, it's just those things there, because the next person that runs into you, it's not their fault that you got soaked by the sprinkler. And also what I learned is sort of how you can sometimes tell when somebody else is having a daily stupid that you realize, and I've learned you could diffuse that. Oh, it's been a long day, huh? You know, or looks like you've been working some cork, you've been working hard, or, um, and it just really changes everything. So it's one something I've worked on for years because when I was younger, it's like I would just take it out on all kinds of folks, and the old life is too short. Very easy to do that. Yeah. So, uh, so catch that column this weekend. Uh, it'll be on cleveland.com on Saturday and then Sunday's Plain Dealer about the daily stupid. So, all right, Terry, we got to wrap up here. I am up against a meeting. Um, well, so we're going to wrap up. Is there anything you else? Know, you, you know, meetings are like pitchers and defensive backs. You can never have enough. I'll tell you. Um, yeah, so that'll do it. Uh, hey, if you want to hit us online or on an email to get your question or comment on next week's podcast, you can go to Terry's Facebook page or go to your email and send us one at sports at cleveland.com. Put Terry's talking into the subject line. We'll try and get you onto next week's podcast. Terry, I think we're both going to be doing this every week for quite a while now since we have our vacation time. in. so I'm looking forward to a string of some good discussions here and, um, and we'll, we really enjoy the people listening. I am looking forward to it. So send in those questions. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll catch you next time on Terry's Talking.